From a whisper to a roar, our voice has grown in strength and volume. Echoes from our past guide our future as we explore the woman's voice. Okay, I have the gorgeous Tracy Yared from New York City. She is a beautiful Australian singer-songwriter who's had the most extraordinary career and continues to have a career in New York City. And I'm really excited to have her here today. I had the good fortune of listening to her live on Facebook the other day. And I tell you what, you're in for a treat. Some of the stories that this lady's got is phenomenal. So welcome, Tracy. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for having me on and for asking me to be a part of your podcast. Thank you. And what part of Australia are you from, Tracy? I was born in Taree. Oh, on the the north coast. Yeah, and I went to school there, and I left Taree when I was eighteen and went to Sydney. Fabulous. Fabulous. You know, when school ended, off I went. Yes. Did you go through an institution musically? Yes, I went to the Sydney Conservatorium of Music. Okay. And what did you study? So I I was there for a long time. I do things in seven-year cycles, I think, Um, like a lot of people. I was there for seven years and I went, when I first arrived, I I was doing a um, high school music teacher's degree um, and I was mastering, um, you had to do two, I had to do two instruments. And so I was doing piano. That was my main thing. <clears throat> and a singing teacher called Elizabeth Todd at the time had given me a scholarship to study under her. And my thing back then when I was a teenager was um, German lead. Yes. I loved, oh, wow. I loved it. And I think that maybe I was suited to it until I left the conservatorium and joined a rock and roll band and blew out my voice. But anyway, there you go. <laughs> that, that's a big jump. And I must say I love German lead and French yeah. melody as well. It's something that I, I really love to just dive into. You took a big jump, though, to get to rock and roll. What what drove you down there? Yeah, I think um, during those years at the conservatorium, I, I changed courses a couple of times. Um, I didn't actually like the high school teaching experience when, when I got into Prac. Um, so I came back and I changed to um, – I went through the opera school for a little while um, and then into a bachelor and then into a diploma of music education, all sorts of things. And um, – I um, what did you just ask me? How did what, you jump? How did you jump from to so, rock and roll? So it was um, that whole um, the whole kind of situation at the New South Wales State Conservatorium was in the opera school. It was very very competitive, mm. and I didn't like the feeling that I got from being with those people. It didn't feel right. I just, they weren't my people. I didn't belong there. It was, I I felt like I'd never make it or something and, yeah. And oh, wow, I, that's that's really interesting, Tracy, because I went through the conservatorium here and that was also something that I felt uh, that, it was almost an undertone that if you can't make it in the conservatorium, you're never going to make it in the outside world. Mm. And that really disabled me as a singer. So it's interesting to hear you say that. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, It was kind of, I don't know, there was just something about it that I felt like I am not going to, I'm not the right personality. I'm not going to get through with these people. Mm. Um, and I just took it took a chance and joined a joined a band, an all-girls band. I joined another band before that, but, you know, the main thing I did was join this all-girls band and start singing. I'd always loved singing popular music growing up. I loved playing the piano and singing, but um, the classical thing just swept me away. You know, I was, I guess I was given the opportunity and, and Elizabeth Todd and Frank Taranto, who was another teacher in Sydney, they both instilled this sort of confidence in me that I could do this, that this was 
where I was headed when I was quite young, when I was singing in a Steadfords in Taree. Um, you know, I remember Frank Taranto was an adjudicator once and he pulled my parents aside and said it would be great if she could move to Sydney and come to the Conservatorium High School so we could train her. This is her this is her calling, so to speak, you know, this mm. But, you know, I, my parents didn't want me to leave, so I never did that. So it felt like a big responsibility and that I just, I don't know, that I wouldn't make it. I wouldn't cut it with these other women that were there and men. Like I didn't feel like I fit in at all. Yeah. Going, moving on from there and, and similarly, I had that feeling but I didn't move away. <laughs> I stayed. Uh, which is really, you know, sparking thoughts in my head. Uh, How did you get the confidence to move beyond? Because, you know, that's something women tend to sit in today. They feel things and they go, oh, well, you know, that's just how it is. What really initiated you and gave you that confidence to go, you know what, no, this just isn't for me? There, there were a lot of, there were a lot of factors. I was married at the time. I was married at twenty-one, and my husband at the time was also pushing me to sing a different genre. He kept saying, "Oh, you're, you should be a country singer. You've got this whole country. You look like a country singer." And he, and and he was in the industry. He'd come from London. And he, he was a really interesting guy, not that this podcast is about him, but he knew about producing. He'd worked with the Beatles. He had an Apple tailoring fashion store in, in the, on the King's Road and he'd made all their clothing and he'd been a big part of the whole production of, of putting, like Sergeant Peppers was his all his clothing and everything. And he was wow. like a style, a stylist sort of person. And he used to see me as that and he used to dress me and say, you need to go out and do this. And he kind of was pushing me at the time while I was studying, while I was married to him. I was going off to the conservatorium each day and, yeah, he was sort of saying, no, 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 I see you here. So I felt, I mean, I, I don't, not that there has to be a man behind every decision you make. There certainly isn't, but I felt, certainly isn't these days, but I felt um, I felt um, supported. Mm. In, in that decision to sort of jump or jump away and start yes. singing, going back to singing popular things and, yeah. But I didn't yeah. become a country star. <laughs> <laughs> so how has your voice led you here today? You've obviously started very young in the Estedfords, which is where most of us start in, the, in that Estedford world and gone through the conservatorium. Where, how did you get to New York? What led you there? Um, I had never in in my career been to the States and um, I travelled a lot, as you know, from my show and spent seven years in Japan and I've been to Europe and done some shows there and I, I just had never come here and I always wanted to come to New York because it's the mecca of jazz. Mm. I'd always wanted to come and just try and soak myself in it and it was um it was um a I came here because my my long-term marriage broke up 23-year marriage and I I didn't know what to do mm-hmm. it was either get stay in bed and pull the blankets over my head or try to change my whole life and so I came here that's you know, it was, it was pretty, it was huge actually. I still feel like it's huge. I'm like, oh, my God, am I really here? Did I do, what happened? <laughs> like that. There, there's so many questions that I've got within that, particularly about finding your voice. I mean, you're with someone for so long, 23 <laughs> years of marriage. Now, I know that you travelled a lot. You you did live in Japan and, and yeah. other surrounds working for the Sheraton, wasn't it? No, the Hilton, yeah. The Hilton group. Uh, you travelled around. That must have put a, a huge burden on the marriage. You know, it was incredible that time. I used to say to people, if we can survive seven years in one hotel room together, we can survive anything. 
and it's we did. Yeah, it was extraordinary. I mean, I I'm a I, I'm a like a lifetime meditator since I was like 21. So a daily, it's been a daily practice for me, and I I feel like I understand silence. Yes, really well, and that that we could exist together. Um, in 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 one space and allow each other to still have our own space. It was it was quite quite incredible, and um, you know, it, it didn't put a strain on it at all. The, the biggest strain, I guess, was was trying to get was trying to get re-established back in Australia and thinking into the future all the time because we both weren't like really happy playing that music. You know, speaking of the voice, everything I've done is, you know, through the voice. And so there was always that sense of when is this going to end and when can we buy a house and create our dream, you know, hmm. our dream picture. But the being in that um, situation together was actually, when I look back on it, it was um, it was really beautiful. It was really lovely. We coexisted together. Like it was Great. I thought, yeah, I thought we'd be forever because that is true. Like you, you've got to be strong to be able to get through something like that with a partner. It's like being in lockdown. <laughs> for seven years. They couldn't last for a year. You know, everyone's talking about, oh, all these breakups in lockdown. I'm like, well, try living in a hotel room for seven years. <laughs> you said you understand silence. Mm. So... What do you understand about it? Who Who is it? What is it? How is it? I think silence is one of the most musical things that that I that I oh, what's what am I looking for? I, I feel like silence is a music of its own, and that it's precious. It's so precious too to be able to be in silence and to be at ease in silence and to be comfortable and to not want to fill up every space with some kind of noise. And when I say noise, I don't necessarily mean speaking or going out. I mean any distraction, mm. you know. So silence to me is like a, a, a great virtue to really understand that the preciousness of, yeah. Within that silence, could you hear your internal voice clearer? Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Would you be encouraging of others to get intimate? And I think that's that's what's coming through is, is about getting intimate with that silence uh, unfortunately most people today if they have silence then there's something wrong with them yeah oh, i know <laughs> you never see anyone i never see anyone on my morning walk walking without the headphones mm. um i i mean if coming here for me was about getting back in touch with that silence side of me. And I feel that it's very valuable and I would encourage everyone I know, everybody to be able to not be afraid of it because it's like it's for me, um, for, for a lot of people and for me, silence in itself means alone. Mm. Like lone and or alone or loneliness, which is, both really different ways of saying that word. Loneliness is different to alone for me. But so, I mean, I, I, coming here was like me challenging myself to be um, in silence with myself again, away from people, away from all of my comfort zones. So I'm a big challenge person. I like to just I like to push myself into situations. I don't lie down and roll over. Mm-hmm. I do for a little while, but I get up. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm hearing that you had a calling to go back to that silence and you said you started at around 21. Yeah. Meditating. Yeah. 
when did you first hear that internal voice calling you to that? What what happened? What brought you to that lifestyle? I um I it was mainly the influence of of a particular um, friend in Sydney when I when I was there studying at the conservatorium. She was someone I was living with, and she was. She was very much into alternative lifestyle and know, we found our way to, to TM, Transcendental Meditation, one day and there was a group of us used to do it and and I found my way into another group, uh, the Brahma Kumaris Raj Yoga group. And as soon as I, as soon as I saw um, a photograph of the head person that ran that, that had started the Brahma Kumaris thing in Mount Abu in Rajasthan, I recognised him. It was a really bizarre um, experience. It was, it was like I, as a, I remember the year it was, um, I was about nine years old and I woke up in the middle of the night and I thought my grandfather was standing at the end of my bed. This is a pretty weird story. Um, but it was, it was a dream or it was a vision. But when I saw that, picture when I walked into this Raja Yoga Centre in Avalon in Sydney, it went, the light went on, it was him who was standing at the end of my bed. And the weird thing about that was that that year was the year he had passed away. Wow. Yeah, so it was like I had this sense of, I don't know, the, the silent calling I believe was there from a young age because I loved playing the piano so much that I would escape into that. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, I think as a teenager and a school person, I didn't have a lot of friends and the music was my friend, the piano was my friend, and um, that was like a meditation it was a place where I could, I know you're not silent because the music's going through every cell, but it's something that you do that, well, I did at that time on my own. So mm. I felt, yeah, you know. So meditation brings that silence and I want to highlight there and talk to you about the clarity that it brings. And I know in my own practice of meditation, one of the things that I crave and desire from meditation is the fact that it brings a clarity. And and when you see something that is meant to be in your world, that recognition of that's it, there it is. There's no question that that's the person or that's the next journey or the, the next mm. path or the next whatever. Is that what you're talking about? Is, is, is that fact that creating that silence allows the brain and the, and the spirit to, to recognize what's Absolutely. Right, what's that's a really great way of putting it. I think that's what meditation does. Mm. And what you said that it, it breeds clarity. <laughs> yeah. So that if something is in front of you, you can actually see it. Mm. Mm. And do you work with do you work with the intention within your meditation as well? You know, you, you set that intention and perhaps this is w- what you want to achieve. Um, certainly that's something that I know yeah, I do. I I've actually come full circle and I've gone back to transcendental meditation. And um, so I just... My, it's just mantra based, and I just tried to go deep down into the to the bottom of the ocean, and just I don't set any intention. I just try to stop everything. <laughs> yep, yep, and just what whatever is meant to be, you follow that. Yep, yep. That's a scary place for a lot of people to go. To yeah. I wouldn't do it in the real life. I can't, couldn't bear to put on tanks and flippers and go right down to the bottom of the ocean. But, but <laughs> I think I think what I'm talking about is the fact that that trust piece in that I'm not going to set the intention. I'm going to live this way of life, and I'm going to trust that I'll know when I get to that path that that's the path that I meant to go down or you hear a conversation or you have that phone call. That's a very difficult place for a lot of people to sit in. They like to have everything planned out, mapped out. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I know, but that's no fun because it doesn't it doesn't leave room for spontaneity. I mean, you know, that's the whole thing about meditation is it's just like you said before, it creates clarity and therefore a clearer vision. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't have any order in our lives and things aren't map- mapped out, but it just means... It just means that I feel like I'm I'm ready to. Uh, it's it, again. It's a place of the meditation is a, is a place of solace for me. It's a it's a place of um, it. It's almost cathartic in its own way. It's it's where I can heal as well. I mean, I've used it through every major upheaval. I've used it through every ordinary day in my life. Every just waking morning, ordinary days, and then through every upheaval, through every disease and through every death and through every breakup and all of that pain, if I was doing um, an ad for meditation, I would sell it because it is the number one tool to have in the box. (laughs) Yep. You know, and you can sit there and you can have so much. You know you're a meditator. You can have so much internal, um, uh, so many internal voices and so much anxiety and all of the things that are happening. I'm not saying I'm free of any of those things, but to be able to discipline yourself to go down into that place and sit quietly and allow whatever it is to come in and out it's it's a savior. Mm. It's a total savior. It's like this most comforting, warm. It's like having somebody to hold you when you don't. Yeah, I'm glad yeah. you went there because that's exactly what it is. It's, it's an old friend. Yeah. The, yeah, the the safest old friend that you can possibly have. And I love what you said before about escaping into yourself with the piano. You know, that's really a beautiful metaphor, a message to people to find what they lose themselves in, do what makes them happy. And I know that there's it's a cliche today, isn't it, where you hear so many people saying it's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever, but it really is. <laughs> Go and do what makes you happy because that's what the world wants. They want to see you. Yeah. Not, a, not a contrived version of yourself. How would you say your life experiences have affected the tone of your voice to, to the, the singer that you are today? You know, it's really interesting. Um, people think I'm, if they don't see me and they talk to me, they, from the sound of my voice, they think I'm younger than I am. Um, and I find that funny because <laughs> it just because you know it's just the, your voice. Your voice leads. Your voice is the thing that's leading you when you're on a phone call or you're whatever. And people um, create a picture of you through your voice. Um, and did you say how uh, that was the question about where? How could you repeat it again so I can get to the. So how, how have your life experiences affected the tone of the voice that you've, you've got today? Yeah. Um, wow. I guess all of, all of my, most of my life experiences have been around producing a vocal sound. Um, and it's been um, a big. It's been a big journey to get where I am today. But I think the biggest experience with with the vocal with 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 the voice was getting through um, the years of um, leaving home. Was the years around eighteen through to twenty, the late twenties, where halfway through the twenties I got nodules, um, and then. And then always having to focus on how to repair this instrument because it was going to be my thing. 
So it was all about that and then taking it getting through that and getting to Japan and singing seven, six nights a week and allowing the instrument to completely relax and be able to repeat and do that night after night after night after night <laughs> for all those years um, really brought my voice into a place where I f- where it felt I felt really confident and it it went through a lot of changes, a lot of changes. And I noticed that it's still going through changes. And um, I I noticed that much of the feedback I got from my very recent show from musicians that I used to work with in Sydney years ago were really complimentary about how my voice, the actual vocal production, if you're talking about that, is better than it used to be it's better than ever Mm. Um, which is amazing because I'm not I'm not working it anymore as hard as I used to I'm not you know in training I used to be in training all the time working on my on my voice production Mm. but now I'm not now I'm just you know (laughs) I just open my mouth and sing (laughs) Well, you've got the muscle memory and you've done all those years of training. Do you think it's that next level of maturity and acceptance as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, acceptance is important because y- you can get so very worried about your voice and become, don't want to use the word prima donna, but a lot of singers, you know, if they've got a little cold or, um, they didn't sleep well the night before. And we know all of these things. We know how we're supposed to look after our voices. But I learned to harden up mm. and to not worry about any of that and just to sing anyway, no matter how I felt. Because I had to in Japan, you know, had to. So I couldn't be like a little a little pussy and go, oh, I'm, I've, got, I've got a blocked nose or I've got a sore throat, you know, I just had to keep going. And I got really used to, or I've got my period, like you were saying hormonal, like all these things that affect your voice all the time. You know, um, you you get thin, the sound of the voice. It was, (laughs) um, you know, but you just had to keep going through it. Whereas prior to those seven years, I would have, maybe chickened out, I would have gone, oh, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, let's not do the gig then, I've got my period then, or let's not do it then, I've got to, whereas there, you couldn't, you had to show up every night no matter what was wrong. So that really, God, that was great training, I have to say, it was incredible. Stamina. Training. I, yeah, I, I'm listening to you going, oh, my goodness, that that's, it's super brave and no matter what, but I suppose in a way it would allow that very organic human element to come through of embracing the emotion that you're going through or the fact that you do have a period or the fact that something's going wrong in your your world to actually bring that to your performance mm. sounds like that's the extra lesson and turning that into something that's beautiful and juicy for that particular performance. Yeah. yeah, that would that would add because most people would would shy away from that. And again, there's there's a message and a lesson in that to embrace what's going on and turn that into something in the voice. Yeah. Tracy, have you ever been afraid to speak your truth? Uh I I I thought about this one and I <laughs> it's it's what gets me into trouble is being too honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um but you know so so I'm not afraid to speak my truth but I think I I feel that perhaps during the time when I was married in in part of that 23-year marriage that there were times when I felt that I couldn't speak up. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. When um, I felt a little bit um, imprisoned, I guess, um, and unable to really speak. But... 
but mostly I mostly I'm 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 it's something I live by is trying to speak my truth. But man, it's it's really hard sometimes. I mean, being a singing teacher, there's been so many times when I've wanted, I'm sure you've experienced this, where I've <laughs> wanted to tell somebody that maybe they should take up um painting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like things like that, being absolutely truthful to people that come in and ask you, you know, but so I guess I guess I haven't I don't always speak my truth no because for fear of um, for fear of hurting someone else mm. and um, perhaps that there's that and there's also the fear of I've always had this thing of people won't like me yeah you know and that's I, I hate that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we're getting a bit better at that one. Don't know. Can, can I just um, jump in there? Please. The, the piece about <clears throat> telling potential singers that maybe you don't have everything that you need. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's that that very fine line where you're being paid to give your opinion Okay, and then you don't want to squash someone's dream, which I put into the category of difficult conversations. Okay, mm-hmm. um, how do you get around that? What What do you do? Uh, if it's it depends on obviously the the student. I've had a lot of adult students that are learning because they love to sing, mm-hmm. and if that's the case, then who cares? Yeah, exactly. Whether there's whether that perfection is there or whether that person is is going to has still got years ahead because you know you can teach you can teach somebody to improve their pitch and you know we we know all of that, but it's that. If if it, if that person's learning for for fun because it brings them so much joy, then I have no problem with it. But I've I feel I've had the experience more so um, maybe with um, I had a music school in the Blue Mountains, and so I taught a lot of teenagers, and there was all of those TV shows that were about. Um, winning the what were they called the voice the voice so, yes not a tv person so um but and they and it instilled a lot of um false confidence in um young young women and young men that they felt that they were owed something like that and they came along with a lo- really overconfident and um didn't want to put any work in and needed to work, and I, I've, I always found that um, very difficult to to tell them the truth. I mean, I think I was a hard teacher at some point, at some places. I'd always, I mean, you have to, you'd have to ask one of my students. I'd be <laughs> always calling them up and saying, "No, no, you got to." You know, I'm very. I guess I was very truthful with um, um, singers that needed work on on their pitch. I wouldn't tell them that the song was great. If it wasn't great, mm. I say it needs work. If you really want to get there, and then I guess it's up to their, um, it's up to to providence. Then when they actually go, some of them used to go and line up for auditions and get knocked back, you know, on those things. The voice, and I'd be like, oh, well, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they find it out anyway in the in the long run. But mm. yeah, I guess I was, um, I guess I was a little bit of a of a tyrant when it came to. I learnt from a nun. <laughs> oh wow! So yeah, you know, I learnt from the one those ones that had the rulers, you know, telling you to don't play it like that. That sounds that's not right. You don't sound right. I'm not that bad. I've got wonderful relationships with my students. Yep, yep. <laughs> but you know, it's just Tracy. I heard a beautiful explanation um, talking about competitions like The Voice, which I think, you know, American Idol and Australian Idol and all of the the mm-hmm. shows that we're talking about. Yeah. I heard a vocal coach recently in the last 12 months actually and 
he had worked behind the scenes on one of these shows and the question to him was what's the biggest issue that you see in auditions what what are people turning up with that you wish would change and he said I wish people would stop turning up in their earth suit oh and I just went oh my goodness what an extraordinary comment and a great picture and fantastic analogy I wish people would stop turning up in their earth suit and then I immediately twisted that and said, well, imagine if they turned up in their spirit gown. Don't, mm. you think, don't you think that that's a beautiful way to, and that's what essentially what the world is looking for. We don't want you to turn up looking perfection. We don't want you to turn up in the latest shoes and top. I mean, that's all part of it, image and branding. We know that. But to turn up in your spirit gown where it stops us in our tracks and we hear something and connect to it, I think that goes back to what we were talking about before about recognising that in that clarity in that moment. That's it. That's that it factor. Mm. What would you think of that of the of the Earth suit? Yeah, I, I I have never heard that before, and what a it is an incredible thing to say because it is. It's like to me, I've, I'm picturing everybody's turning up how they think they're meant to be hmm. projected on this planet, hmm. instead of instead of like you said in the spirit suit, instead of just showing up. And being, you know, being present, like, just show up. <laughs> Which is, you know, really what we aim to achieve, isn't it, mm-hmm. as performers, is to turn up with a, with a product and an idea and hopefully it connects with people mm-hmm. rather than twist yourself into something that you perceive is what the outside world wants, where really we just want you. Yeah. Have you, has your voice ever saved your life? Um, I, I, my voice is, um, my voice has created my life. I feel like, Mm. so in a way, in a way that's saving my life, (laughs) it's given me a life. Yeah. Imagine a life without a voice. Imagine. Well, I almost had to for a while there. (laughs) (laughs) Having the nodules, was that caused from singing in a rock band? Yeah, it came from going, jumping straight out of the conservatorium training into, you know, Nutbush City Limits mm-hmm. um, in a club with no fallback and people used to smoke, you know, as well in the clubs. Yeah. So not, I wasn't using my voice correctly. I was using it as a, not as an opera singer, but as a, you know, more of a classical singer. I wasn't using, I didn't understand how to support it properly for this other style of singing. It's very different, isn't it? Yeah. And so there was that and the environment mm. that caused it, yeah. The environment has a huge impact on the voice. Do you like the sound of your voice? Um, I do. I like the sound of my voice. Um, it, it's taken a long time to, to say that and that's something I've always found interesting when I've been teaching because students are so um, nervous or or hesitant to hear themselves back. Don't play it while I'm here. I don't want to hear. And I've always said, you know, it will, you will get used to the sound of your voice. And yeah, I, I do. I, I do like the sound of my voice and particularly being here in New York, it's, you know, we're, we're different, us Aussies, yeah. when we're here, <laughs> you know, the, the accent. And it's like something I'm proud of my voice, the sound of my voice in a way. It's, it's unique where I am right now. And it is you, isn't it? It's me. 
I use uh, Oprah as an example here. If if Oprah's voice was a colour, what colour do you think it would be? I know. I found that interesting because I had to go and put an Oprah video on so I could hear it because it's, I haven't really listened to her. And when I when I put it on, I just felt like a warm, glowing orange. Mm. Nice. Her voice, her speaking voice is so warm. Isn't it? So much, so many layers. And she's got so much versatility in in the tone from being very, very authoritative to being, you know, the most nurturing mother figure on the planet, which is really beautiful. So in comparison, what what colour would you say your voice is? I don't think I'm as warm, glowing orange like that. (laughs) Thinking in colours is an interesting concept to me too. I was going to ask you why you ask those questions about the colours. I think that that's Whoops, sorry. (laughs) No, as a teacher, so my one of the teachers I have spent the most time with, which I'm still very close to and work with, is Armenian. And she was from a very musical family and in Armenia you know the the talented get supported and the whole family there was a, a singers composer and and a painter they all get taken away to beautiful uh, special schools that support the arts and they get nurtured and encouraged which is very different to what it is in Australia <laughs> What a beautiful way to live. Um, And so these schools are generally placed in extraordinarily beautiful landscapes in in these country areas of of Armenia or, you know, if you're in Russia or if you're in Germany, you know, this is very common in Europe. And Mm -hmm. so they all talk because they're seasons and when you listen to a Debussy piece or you listen to any of the great composers, European composers, you can hear the seasonal colours coming through um, their pieces, you know, and the environment that they live in definitely affects what birds are are out chirping, what what colour the trees are, what colour the sky is, affects the tone in their their, um, compositions. So she then naturally always spoke to me. She would, I would sing something and she'd go, what colour is that? Micah, that's not even a colour. That's yellow. I don't want that yellow colour. You know, I want a beautiful red colour. I want a beautiful green colour. And slowly, slowly, of course, initially I was like, this woman's cray-cray. I don't know what she's talking about. But eventually I started to understand and parallel all when I sing that tone, it feels like this. She says that tone's green. Oh, now I can see that. And I started to, that part of my brain started to work differently so that now I work very much in colors with my students. And when I went to Armenia and I saw the colors, which were just extraordinary, we were there in autumn and I went, oh, I get it. I understand. (laughs) So that's where it's all come from. And it really does in the teaching studio. And when I work with either singers or speakers, you know, in the corporate world, when I get them thinking this way, it changes their perception around it. And it really translates to a feeling. Mm. So... That's how the colours came about. Oh, that's really interesting. I want to I thank you for answering that. I guess if I thought about my own, I I see it, I see it as a palette of paisley turquoises. Beautiful. You know what you know what I mean by that? I love, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's so, movement. Yeah. yeah, you've got that foundational colour and it, and I love that. Is that the colour you want your voice to be? Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. And that's, you know, that takes a long time to be able to say that. Most people don't like the sound of their voice. If I ask a room of 2,000 people, which I've done, hands up who likes the sound of their voice. 
next to nobody will oh, put their wow. hands up, which I think is really, really interesting. It's just another thing for us to hate on in our body. And yes, it's the one thing that we need to support us if mm. we're going to make that impact in the world and have those deeper, more meaningful conversations conversations if you don't like the sound of your own voice how are you going to create a vibration that's going to make that deeper impact as a singer or as a speaker Mm. that's right well I you know I have not in the past I've not liked the sound of my voice and I'm actually just listening to masters now of my album that's coming out this year going ooh, you know really you know you're really really listening and I'm listening to three or four different versions of it going well that's a bit hard at the top there and if I I could I could put a color on every note probably (laughs) absolutely well is that hard is that what I sound like or is it the way he's recorded it yeah (laughs) it is is a very and you know how it is as a singer um it's a very um you it's you it's you're it right you know here we are hello here I am. Whoa. It's not like sitting behind the piano and it's not like. Oh, look, I always say it's, it, you may as well be butt naked running down the street. That's it's right. So exposing. Yeah. It's really, really exposing. Yeah. So. And, and getting used. In my show, it was interesting because I normally play piano. So I was like, oh, I'm going to do something out. That's another thing. I'm pushing myself to do this stuff here. I'm like, no, just go out and sing for a change. Yeah. No, it was beautiful. Do you and have you suffered from the imposter syndrome? Um, yeah, of course. I, I don't anymore. Oh, why am I saying that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> huh? uh, am I sure I be here in New York? Am I good enough to be here? That's right. All these people are amazing. Um, no, I, I'm, I have suffered from it, and and I think it's really natural to suffer from it. And I, I know men that suffer from it too, you know, in the music industry. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think it's purely a, a female um, trait. Um, but I, but I feel like I don't anymore. I feel I've come to a place. Well, if I'm not happy with what I'm doing and feeling confident enough to put it out there, then I might as well take up something else. So now, so now, now I'm, now I'm okay. I, I'm accepting of, of my musical ability, whether it's, um, it's never going to match up to anyone else's. And I think the problem is, is when we're younger, we tend to compare ourselves Mm. it's the comparison that brings on that imposter syndrome I was having lunch with a girlfriend today and she was talking about someone's album that she loves and she said oh it just makes me want to give up because everything is so perfect about that album and and made me think of that question because I knew I was doing this this afternoon I was like "Mm," I said something to her you know like but we're all unique Mm. We're all very unique in what we have to to offer and, you know, we can't. Do you, do you have a belief as to why it's so prevalent today? And, you know, we've had many conversations with people about social media has a lot to answer for. Oh, yeah. With this condition, you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, it, I'm sure it must be way worse now for for people in their 20s like oh look we had i think an extended you know suicide in our family this week um just horrific Uh, yeah there's there's so much pressure on these 18 19 20 21 year olds um I mean, we had pressure when we were young, but we didn't have that no behind closed doors pressure. No, and there wasn't that. We didn't, you know, there were no computers. There was nothing coming from outside. Now it's like waves are just like rolling in all the time and you've got to keep ducking under and trying to get a breath, you know. Mm. It's like, oh, here comes another wave. You can't get away from it unless you have some kind of, you know, 
resistance to um mm. to, to to running with the flock mm. <laughs> you know unless you well, can turn I, things off and i know myself going back to that age group I, you know, as I was coming out of the conservatorium and I was in postgrad, I was diagnosed with cancer. I there was a lot going on inside of me um, from a mental health perspective. Yeah, I was young, you know. I look back now, and I and my baby is twenty, you know. Wow. And I and I look at him now and go, oh my goodness, you know, you're only a couple of years younger than what I was when I was diagnosed. Um, so I have just projected back in this conversation and thought how would I have coped if I had had the extra pressure of social media and I don't know that I would have I think no it would have been too much yeah, yeah and too this much. is part of being an empath too I think that empaths you know they need to be very careful with social media because it does affect us even more we've and, and I do believe most creatives are empaths, we feel things just a little bit more prickly under the skin. Mm. And we shouldn't be subjecting ourselves to too much of this exposure. Mm. No. No. <laughs> the tone that you speak to yourself in, is it harsh, encouraging, loving, nurturing? Depends on the day. <laughs> yep. And it depends what I'm doing, you know. I've I've got all tones. (laughs) (laughs) Do you ever use that? Do you ever use that harsh tone with with anyone in the outside world? Never. Can you create that tone? Are you physically capable of creating that tone, that harsh tone? Um. Not really, no. Mm, I'm not I, either. I can't physically create it. I mean, I can, I can whine, whinge and whine. <laughs> and I do that to myself sometimes in my own head, you know, like, oh, I hate doing this. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, that, and it's, that's like closing, yeah, closing, closing, closing the cords. Mm-hmm. doing this for? Yes. <laughs> that one. Mm-hmm. And do that one, but no, the person that I pre- the voice that I have outside of me, I could never. Yeah, no, I'm I'm pretty calm. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like you're calm on the surface. <laughs> no, it's interesting. You're the first person that's actually admitted that you can't create that that tyrant, uh, harsh tone physically because that harsh tone in 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 my head is so vicious it's impossible for me to create that and i think that that's really sad if if we're feeling it how many others are feeling that and that needs that addressing going back to what we're talking about about in the beginning with meditation and silence i do believe that that starts to unshackle that harsh tone in the way we talk to ourselves Mm. what do you consciously do to make sure that you're always in good voice um i eat really well i'm i'm vegetarian i have been for a really long time probably 40 years and i don't i don't drink alcohol um that's really bad for your voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to get to bed. You know, sleep's the biggest saviour. Yeah. Um, it'll just – so, yeah, I think I, 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 I exercise, I walk the dog, I ride a push bike, I do yoga. Beautiful. I just have a pretty – I have a pretty healthy lifestyle and I have had for a long time. Do you do any uh, vocal routine? Um, I don't do any vocal routine anymore. It's amazing actually. I mean, I went into the studio and recorded an album in two days. I didn't do any warm-ups or anything. It's just just there now. It's like it's there. It's an old friend. Yeah. Yeah. Tracy, what would you... What piece of advice would you give to our listeners 
on how to reconnect with their voice? Well, it, it's interesting as well because when I think about that sentence, how do I reconnect with my voice, to me it can mean a lot of things, not actually being a person who's in the public eye, who's a speaker or a singer, but my voice, how do I reconnect with my voice, is about how do I reconnect with myself again. And I think I, 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 the, the piece of advice that I gave myself when I was trying to reconnect again after, after a, you know, a traumatic thing happened to me was, was to breathe, mm-hmm. <laughs> breathe, breathe and stay open. Stay open and breathe and never let go of the belief that anything is possible. Yeah. That's the advice I gave myself when I was, you know, trying to change that. my life again. <laughs> and, I, and I like what you've done there in the self and the voice are one. Mm-hmm. So reconnecting to your voice is essentially reconnecting to the self Mm. because the voice will go and do whatever you want it to do Mm. as long as you give it the direction. So that, again, the theme of today's um, podcast, and I think we might name it Clarity, uh, it gives you the clarity. Yeah. And, And what you've just created there is... Be tender to yourself. It's a word that we don't use very much, but I love it. Yeah. Be tender. Mm. Be gentle on yourself for the day and see what happens. Tracy, how do you think people feel when you leave that stage? I hope they feel happy and I hope they feel like I hope they feel warm inside and that that perhaps perhaps I touch somebody in a way that they thought about their own situation their own thing and they felt good about something that they maybe didn't feel so good about before they met me or heard me do my show or heard me sing or whatever mm. I hope that it made them changed a cell or something something Mm. and when I listened to your your show that you did your live that you did on Facebook last week I did mention to you when we were off air that I normally just skip through lives and pop in and see and go oh that's lovely but I said you 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 pulled me up and kept me there and the reason you kept me there was that you made me feel safe and that's that's what I look for in a performer is that I feel safe to just land for a mm-hmm. moment. So I want to give that to you that you, Thank you. you do make people feel safe. Tracy, we're going to wrap it up. It's been an absolute pleasure. I could talk to you forever. I know you've got so many stories. But can you tell us what's next for your voice? What have you got coming up? So I have um, an album release coming up. It's called All These Pretty Things, and it's a show that I I wrote, um, and Karen was actually helping me, Karen Jacobson, with this show when she was back here in New York. Um, it's a show I wrote around my divorce and about picking myself up. The pain of that, it's like a cycle, I guess, like life is. and um, It's got all the seasons in it. And, um, and so I... I recorded those tunes with a band here in New York and that's coming out um, later this year um, with an audio book um, mm. that I've written the stories with every the stories with every song but these stories are more um, defined they're actually I've been enjoying writing while I've been here in New York I've done some writing courses and I don't know I just I'm just allowing myself to explore 
whatever comes my way. I, I, I'm in a position in my life now which I'm really grateful for, but I'm, I'm at a point in my life where I can allow a creative thought to turn into a creative action. Hmm. I love it. Thank you, Tracy. And we can, of course, download your album from all of the normal. It's going to be, it's going to be absolutely everywhere. I know. We're going to be walking down the street, right, going, there's that There's that Australian girl that I heard on the Woman's Voice you podcast. You download it like this. You've got to go, me, me, me. <laughs> oh, thank you, darling. It's been a delight. And and I hope that one day when we get back to New York, we can yeah. catch up. That would be fabulous. I can't wait to meet you in person. It's going to be great. Thanks for joining me today to strengthen your voice. You want to be heard and you deserve to be heard. We're here to make sure that the woman's voice is heard. I'm Lisa Lachlan Bell and together we are the woman's voice. Thanks to our official sponsor, The Voice Draw. For more information on your voice, go to thewomansvoice.com.au.